Let's get into our series, Fearless, when the battle is bigger than you. Fearless. Today is, is, is part two of this series. Uh, we're exploring the life of David, and we're, we're watching how he, he steps into battles that are bigger than him. And, and I just want to say to you today, if you're not in any battles that are bigger than you, then you need to go choose some bigger battles. Because God does not want you to simply fulfill your potential. God actually wants you to exceed your potential because he wants you to lean on his power. He doesn't want you to lean on just your own power. He wants you to invite the power of God in you because God actually has a plan for you. He's got purpose. He's got destiny for your life. But in order to, to achieve it, you're going to have to trust in his power. You're going to have to step into a battle that is bigger than you. And we're going to spend some time this morning. I'm going to read you a long passage of scripture. But I'm going to allow you to, to remain seated during this long passage of scripture. As long as you promise to stay with me. Because we're reading big pieces of the Bible together. Um, and, and what I'm going to read you today is probably, if not the most, one of the most, if not the most, exciting adventures in the Bible. And I'm just going to read you right up to the edge of it. We're not going to go all the way into it. We're just going to get all the way up to the edge of it. And then you can come back next Sunday and hear how it unfolds, okay? Um, it's going to be an amazing uh, example of how God is calling each and every one of us to step into some battles uh, that he has for us so that we can achieve some of the things that he has for us. So track with me. We're going to start in 1 Samuel 17, verse 1. It says this, the Philistines gathered their forces for war. Somebody say war. Saul and the men of Israel gathered and camped in the valley of Elah. Then they lined up in battle formation to face the Philistines. The Philistines were standing on one hill. The Israelites were standing on another hill. There was a ravine between them. Two great armies facing off face to face. Then a champion named Goliath from Gath came out from the Philistine camp. He was nine feet tall. Nine, in, nine feet, nine inches tall. He wore a bronze helmet, bronze scale armor that weighed 125 pounds. There was bronze armor on his shins. There was a bronze sword slung between his shoulders. His spear shaft was like a weaver's beam. That's like a big old, big old beam. It's very thick and big and round. And the iron point of his spear weighed 15 pounds. Just the arrowhead, just the point weighed 15 pounds. In addition, he had a shield bearer that was walking in front of him. So he was armed to the T. He was so armed to the teeth, he had to have somebody help him carry his armor. I mean, this guy was ready, ready to fight. He stood and shouted to the Israelite uh, battle formations. He said, why do you come out to line up in battle formation? Am I not a Philistine? Are not you servants of Saul? Choose you one of your men. Have him come down against me. If he wins in a fight against me and kills me, we will be your servants. But if I win against him and kill him, then you will be our servants and you will serve us. Then the Philistine said, uh, I defy. So now he's getting personal. I defy the ranks of Israel today. Send me a man so we can fight each other. When Saul and all Israel heard these words from the Philistine, they lost their courage and were terrified. How many of you ever faced a battle that made you want to kind of shirk back a little bit, step back a little bit because the battle seemed so big, the enemy seemed so daunting, the task seemed so overwhelming that you weren't quite sure if you could step into it. Now, David, it says, was the son of the Ephrathite from Bethlehem of Judah named Jesse. Jesse had eight sons and during Saul's reign was already an old man. That's Jesse, not David. 
Uh, Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to war, and their names were Eliab, the firstborn, Abinadab, the second, and Shema, the third, and then David was the youngest. One day Jesse had told David, said, David, take this half bushel of roasted grain along with these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Also take these ten portions of cheese to the field commander. So he sends his son, his youngest son, on a little errand. Okay? I want you to take some cheese sandwiches to your brothers. Tell me how they're doing and then come back. Check on their welfare, he says, of your brothers and bring a confirmation from them. So David got up early in the morning, left the flock and, and left someone to keep it, loaded it up. Uh, loaded up and set out as Jesse had instructed him. He arrived at the perimeter of the camp as the army was marching out to its battle formation, shouting their battle cry. Israel and the Philistines lined up in battle formation, facing each other. David left his supplies in the care of the quartermaster and ran to the battle line. When he arrived, he asked his brothers how they were. Hey, how are you guys doing? You know, they're just standing on the battle line. While he was speaking with them, suddenly the champion named Goliath, the Philistine from Gath, came forward uh, came forward from the Philistine battle line and shouted his usual words, which David heard. And these were colorful insults that he had been shouting for 40 days. He had been yelling and, and, and daunting and defying these Israelites. When all the Israelite men saw Goliath, they retreated from him terrified. David spoke to the men who were standing with him. I love David's question. Question. Just who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Little guy, just a little guy, just looking out there and going, huh, who does this guy think he is? <laughs> David's oldest brother, Eliab, listened as he spoke to the men and became angry with him. Why did you come down here, David, he asked. Who did you leave those few sheep with in the wilderness? I know your arrogance. I know your evil heart. You came down to watch the battle. You just came some, you brought some popcorn. You're just here just to see what's going on. You're, you're just here to watch the show, David. I know you. What have I done now, protested David. It was just a question. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul. So Saul had David brought to him. This is interesting. David said to Saul, Saul, don't let anybody be discouraged by him, that giant. Your servant will go and fight the Philistine. David says, ah, hey, Saul, don't be discouraged. Don't be afraid. I'll do it. I'll go fight him. I'll go take on this giant. Don't be discouraged. I got this. Saul replied, you can't go fight this Philistine. You're just a youth. And he's been a warrior since he was young. Today, I want to preach for a few minutes on the subject, put me in the game. Put me in the game. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today and we ask for your presence to open our heart. We ask for your spirit, Lord, to break open our heart that we might receive the nourishment of your word. We pray, Lord God, that it would be a feast for our soul, that we would grow and that we would expand into the men and women that you have called us to be. Give us your strength by your power and help us to bring honor and praise and glory to you in everything we do and say. Help me to say, Lord, what you would have me say and where I miss it, Lord, fill in the blanks so that we could just uh, grow together. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Um, there was a, a young man, his name was Jason McElwain, 2003, he was 15 years old and he was trying out for his school's junior varsity basketball team in Rochester, New York. Uh, a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of excitement, uh, but Jason McElwain uh, was part of the special needs program. He had been diagnosed uh, with autism as a little kid, and he had made some great strides socially and, and academically, but he just had not developmentally reached that state where he could actually be competitive on the, on the junior varsity basketball team. 
But the coach really liked his enthusiasm, really liked his, his, his grit. And so the coach said, hey, listen, Jason, I'll tell you what I'll do. Um, I can't put you on the team, but I'll make you the, the, the team manager. And, and that way you can be around the team, even though you can't be on the team. You know, and um, what you'll do is you'll, you'll fold the towels and clean the towels. You'll carry the water. You'll wind the clock. You'll put the chairs out for the game. You know, just you can be around. You can drill with us. You can just be a part part of it. And so Jason McElwain, 15 years old, says, OK, OK, I'll do that, coach. And so he joins as the manager of the team. And year after year, season after season, game after game, Jason McElwain just shows up does his thing, even though he can't be on the team. In three years, he only missed one game. I mean, this is a kid that just, he was dedicated. You know, he just was like, I'll do this. But his heart was to get into the game. His heart, his heart's desire was to step onto the court like, like his friends and like his, 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 uh, the other students, his colleagues. But season after season, year after year, game after game, as much as he wanted it, it just wasn't going to be feasible. It just wasn't going to be possible. And so game after game, he was relegated to the sidelines. I, I feel like a lot of us in some parts of our life or at some times in our life can relate to somebody like this kid, Jason McElwain. Because I believe that all of us, in fact, I don't know anybody that doesn't have a dream or an aspiration or a hope for their life that is greater than what they're experiencing now. We all desire something more than what we're experiencing right now. We want God's destiny or we want to find purpose or we want to fulfill some meaning or we want to achieve some great thing in our life. But a lot of us from time to time find ourselves sort of relegated to the sidelines. A lot of times we find ourselves sort of stuck on the sidelines and we find ourselves looking out at life and seeing other people playing and seeing other people in the game and seeing other people in the battle. And in our heart of hearts, we sometimes go, gosh, I wish I could step into that. I wish I could step into the thing that that I really feel in my heart I, I want to accomplish. Or I just wish that God would show me what he wants me to accomplish so I could step into that. And, and it might be our prayer from time to time. God, just put me in the game. Just, just, just help lead me into, into what you have for me. Help me to step forward into what you have for me. And, and I don't know about you, but, but sometimes I, sometimes when I'm reading about David, I relate to David. And then sometimes I relate to the other people in the story. Like sometimes I relate to the Israelite army who is standing on the sidelines watching this great giant pace back and forth in the ravine between the two armies. And I, I relate to the soldiers who are going, yeah, I kind of want to step into the game, but that guy looks pretty daunting. Like that is, there's something intimidating about stepping into the game. There's something that's frightening about stepping into that. Like, like I want to move forward in what you have for me, God, but, but there's something that's keeping me back. And I love how the writer takes such great care to describe the giant and what and, and, and how daunting he is. It says he's nine feet, nine inches tall. He's got bronze helmet, bronze scale armor, 125 pounds. He's got armor on his shins. He's got he's got a sword slung between his shoulders. His spear is like is like a tree trunk. He's the point of his spear is 15, like taking the time to tell you that this is a pretty scary guy. Right. In addition, he's got a shield bearer. He's got another guy with him. In other words, what keeps the Israelite army and what sometimes keeps us from stepping into what God has for us is that we're looking at the size of the problem, right? We're spending time focusing on the greatness, the immensity, the magnitude of the challenge before us. We're looking at it. I want to teach you a phrase 
today. And I want us to just memorize this phrase and then I want you to use it during the week. Okay, we're going to memorize a phrase. The phrase is big. Somebody say big. big. Compared, compared to what? Big compared to what? So the Israelite army is looking down at this giant walking back and forth. And you know what they're thinking? They're thinking he's big. But see, big is a relative term. Size is a relative term. They're saying he's big compared to me. Right? David comes up to the battle line and he doesn't start with the giant. He starts with God and he says, God, why is this little thing picking on you? I don't understand the the math here. Why are we letting this small, uncircumcised Philistine defy the armies of the Lord God Almighty? So, So the rest of the army is looking at the size of the problem compared to them. David is looking at the size of the problem compared to God. And by comparison, the problem seems pretty infinitesimally small because he's saying, look, I'm looking at God and going, what is this guy compared to God? Whereas the rest of the army is going, this guy's huge compared to me. Right. A, A lot of times in life, when we're facing a challenge, we're looking at the challenge as it compares to us. And that's why the challenge seems so big, because we're comparing it to our size. God never calls us to compare our problems to our own personal ability. He never calls us to compare the problem to the size of our ability. He calls us to compare the problem to the size of his authority. He calls us to compare the problem to the size, not, 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 not just the problem in front of us, but to the power within us. He says, you know what? Compare that problem in front of you to the power within you. Now the problem in front of you does not seem so daunting. I had a years ago, I think I told this story a long time ago, but years ago when I was in high school, I went to a party with two of my friends, two of my best friends. We, come, we roll up to this party. We're getting ready to go into this party, you know, high school. And, you know, you walk up to the party and these guys came out of the party. And there were five guys that came out of the party and there were three of us. And the five guys that came out of the party did not want the three of us to come into the party. You know, they were from a different high school. I won't say, but they weren't all that great. That high school is not so great. But, um, and, and so... So they come out and they basically tell us, you guys cannot come into the party. You guys need to leave, is what they said. Not so nicely. They said it more, more like Goliath, you know. And, and, you know, I'm kind of there sort of doing the math on this equation. And I've got my two buddies with me. One of them is like a really good buddy of mine. But he is intellectually strong. But he's not a physical specimen. He knows who he is. God gives us each different gifts. And those were his gifts. Um, my other friend is really athletic, but he just looked like he had swallowed a bug, man. He was like, he wants out of here, okay? So I'm like looking at these guys, and they look like robust guys. They're ready to do this. And the three of us are kind of like, nah, this, is, this equation is not good. I'm running the numbers, and this isn't looking right. Then something unexpectedly happened. I hear a car pull up on the street. I look over my shoulder. And my friend Lamont Head, who is varsity football, varsity wrestling, varsity track, tall, strong, most athletic guy you've ever met in your life, gets out of the car and just kind of walks up behind us and goes, what's going on, guys? Well, see, this changes the math significantly, right? So now I'm looking at the problem in front of me, but then I'm also looking at the power beside me. 
And I'm going, hey, you know what? The numbers just changed. I think we're going to come into the party. And the five guys that were blocking the party said, why don't you guys come on into the party? So we just went on into the party, had a good time. No more problems. See, this is, the, this, is what, this is what God is trying to say to somebody today. What God is saying today to somebody is you're looking at the problem, right? And you think it's big, but God's saying compared to what? Big compared to what? Right? Like, God, I'm, my relationship is so messed up. There's so many struggles. There's so many challenges. There's so many problems. It's so big. It's so overwhelming. It's so big. And God goes, big compared to what? My child is so messed up. There's so many uh, you know, addictions. There's so many problems, so much pain in their life. They're overwhelming. It's too big. Big compared to what? My grief is so big. My depression is so big. My, ch- my habits are so big. My challenges, it's all so big. I don't know what, to- God's saying big compared to what? Come on, somebody, big compared to what? That's the question you need to be asking today because is it big compared to you? Big deal. God's not asking you to compare the size of your problem to the size of your performance. He's saying compare the size of your problem to the size of my power. And now the size of your problem doesn't look so big, right? Big compared to what? The problem, however, is that a lot of times we get around other people and other people like this entire Israelite army are all in this defeatist mindset instead of a divine mindset. And so they're all kind of like going, "Mm, I don't know. But see, that rubs off. You know, it's like it's, it's almost like. You know, it's almost like a sickness that just passes from one. You know, it's, it's fear. It just kind of pours over. One guy is afraid and then another guy is afraid. And it just passes on to you, right? And they're all standing there. And, and none of them want to make the move. In fact, I love what the writer says. It's very fascinating. I've never noticed this before, but look how he describes it. It says, the Philistines gathered their forces for war. Saul and the men of Israel gathered and camped. So the Philistines are like, let's do this. And the Israelites are, let's stand on the edge here and not do this, right? I mean, they've lined up in battle formation. They, they, they gave the shout of the battle, but nobody was stepping across the line. Nobody was stepping into the game. Nobody was willing to step into the battle, right? Because the, the reality is this. We, never, we, we, we hold off from stepping into the battle because of what I call the safety of the stands. When we don't stand out, I need you with me this morning, somebody. When, you ever notice how brave people are when they're in the bleachers? You know what I mean? You ever been somewhere where you're in the stands and, man, people can shout some stuff from the stands. They can holler. They can tell you what you did wrong from the, from the safety of the, the courage of the crowd, right? Oh, wow, I really could have done that better. But I'm not actually going to do it. I'm just going to stand back and watch somebody else do it. And then I'll tell you how you could have done it better, right? The safe, that's what the Israelites are doing. They're like, we're safe back here. We're safe here. Anybody remember Super Bowl 49, 2015, Seattle Seahawks versus New England Patriots? Anybody remember that? It was one of those games where, like, it's, it's, there's 30 seconds left in the game. Patriots are up 28-24. The Seahawks have the ball on the one-yard line. Okay? Second down. They've got one timeout left. they got Marshawn Lynch in the backfield. Beast mode. Marshawn Lynch had already run up 100, over 100 uh, yards that game. I mean, he was eating up the Patriots defense. Pete Carroll, the coach, all he had to do, can you feel, I'm feeling my heartbeat start to pick up a little bit. All you had to do, Pete, I know you're watching these sermons, Pete Carroll. All he had to do was to hand the ball to Marshawn Lynch 
Marshawn Lynch punches through the one-yard line, punches into the end zone, and the Seattle Seahawks defeat the uncircumcised New England Patriots for the win. Super Bowl 49, that's all he had to do, right? But Pete Carroll calls a slant pass to this guy over here, Ruckhead, what's his name? What was it? Lockhead. We don't know. We just don't know. We don't know the guy's name. We don't remember his name because his name wasn't Marshawn Lynch. So he throws over here. It gets intercepted. Game over. New England Patriots win. Right? And I just remember that everybody I know, including myself, were yelling at the TV. How could you make that call, Pete Carroll? Like, why would you throw the ball second down? You have a timeout. I just don't understand that call, right? Everybody, everybody in the stands is going, what just happened? The commentators on TV, go back and look it up on YouTube. They're like, what kind of call was that, right? All of us who are not on the field can make the right call, right? It's easy to make the right call in the stands. It's hard to make the right call in the field. It's hard to make the right call. And even Pete Carroll said, look, that was a bad call. I should have, right? But the reality is all of us who are in the stands, we can be very, very, you know, sure of ourselves because we haven't stepped onto the battlefield. And, and, and what, what somebody needs to, to, to do today is to start shutting out the voices of the fans who can tell you, who can quarterback, armchair quarterback your life. Who say, look, you know what you should have did? You know what you should have done? Here's how you should have done that, right? But they've never stepped into the battle. I I want you to start ignoring the voices of the people who have not fought the battles that you're fighting. I want you to start listening to the voices of the people who are fighting the battles that you're fighting. And who are following following the Lord that is is leading you. Because that's how you're going to step into the battle. That's how you're going to get into the game. You cannot listen to the voices that are all around you. And David has to decide for himself. Whose voice am I going to listen to? Am I going to listen to the guys on the sidelines who are trying to call the plays over here? Or am I listening to the voice of the Lord who's calling me to step into the game? Whose voice are you going to listen to? Whose voice? Because there were voices for David. Remember his brother? What his brother said, Eliab? He said, put him up here. Why did you come down here, David? David, why are you even here? Who did you leave those few sheep? You notice how he throws in that little, that little passive aggressive thing. That little is a little dig. Who did you leave those few sheep? In other words, you're insignificant at home and you're insignificant here. And why are, and and the insignificance that you left at home is you're probably not even doing that right. Why are you even here? I know your arrogance, your evil heart. You just came to see the battle, right? Whose voice are you going to listen to? Are you going to listen to the divine voice that's leading you forward? Or are you going to listen to the voice of discouragement? That's what David has to, to. And there were more voices of discouragement, right? There was also Saul who was going, hey, man, listen. And Saul was nicer about it, but Saul was like, you can't do this. This guy's been fighting since he was a kid. And you're just, you can't do this. You can't. So whose voice are you going to listen to? The crazy thing about the voice of discouragement is that it literally takes the courage out of you. That's what discouragement means. It, it reduces your courage. It, it, it depletes your courage. It takes it away from you. And sometimes it's not that hard to get away from the voices of discouragement around us. 
Somebody is discouraging you at work. Somebody's discouraging you at home. Somebody's discouraging you at school. It's not that hard to get away from it. You just physically remove yourself, right? I'm just going to step out of the room. I'm just going to step out uh, 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 of the hallway, right? But it is hard to get away from the voice of discouragement that is inside of you. Sometimes that voice is not somebody else going, what's the matter with you? What do you think you're doing? You're insignificant. Sometimes it's not the outside voice. Sometimes that's the inside voice. Sometimes that voice happens inside of you. And that's what's keeping you from stepping into the game is because you're listening to a voice of discouragement that sounds like you. You believe it because it's in your voice. You believe it because it sounds true because you're saying it, right? And God's saying, no, 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 no. I don't want you to listen to that. That's why the scripture says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. David would actually pull himself to the side and encourage himself. This means that he wasn't talking to God in that moment, which he did that a lot. That means he was talking to himself in that moment because he needed to talk to himself about what God was saying about him. I don't know about you, but sometimes I have to have like a little come to Jesus meeting with myself. (laughs) I do. I just have to. I just have to go. You know what? Let me uh, let me just. uh, Hey, Brent, let me just talk to you for a second. All right. Um. I need to talk to you about some things. I need to talk to you about having a little more courage to step into some things that God has for you. I need to talk to you, right? And you have to have that conversation. I usually, I have that conversation a couple, two, three times a week. I try not to do it at the office or at home because then people think you're crazy. But, but you know, sometimes I'll start to talk to God and I'll literally, God is, is like, hey, look, you've already talked to me. I've already done my job. You need to talk to yourself about what I already told you and go do the, your job because I've already done my job. Now you just do your job. How about that? Why don't you talk to yourself? Why don't you encourage yourself in me? All right. So, so usually what I'll do is I'll do it in the car, but I'm very wise. I'll put in my earbuds so that people think I'm talking on the phone and then they don't think I'm crazy. Little do they know. Um, I think somebody today needs to encourage themselves in the Lord. You need to start pulling yourself to the side every once in a while and going, okay, hold on here. Hold on, Brent. Listen, greater is he that is in me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. For you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me, right? You're a strong and mighty tower in whom I can step in and be safe. You're, God, you're faithful to me. God, you're Brent, God's faithful to you, right? I mean, sometimes you need to pull yourself aside and encourage yourself in the Lord so that you can step into the battle that God has for you instead of shirking back with the voice of defeat and the voice of discouragement all around you. You need to step into the voice of encouragement that God has for you. Come on, somebody. Are you with me this morning? So the question is this. When that, when that noise is going on in your life, when those voices are hitting you over and over, every once in a while, you need to say, you know what? We interrupt this program to bring you a special news bulletin. God loves me. God's with me. God's for me. God's not against me. And God wants to take me where God wants me to go, right? Sometimes we need to change our programming if we're going to change our performance, all right? So, 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 so the question then becomes for many of us, like, all right, Yes. Good. I feel it. I'm excited. How do I begin to step into that game? How do I actually begin to step into that game? And what's fascinating about this story is that David, when he left the house that morning, did not know he was going to fight a giant that evening. He didn't know that because that's not what the assignment was when he left. As far as he knew, you know what his assignment was? Here's his assignment. Son, 
take some roasted grain, take some loaves of bread to your brothers, hurry to the camp, take some cheese to the field commander, check on your brothers, come back, tell me how they did. That is not an exciting mission. That does not make you go, let's do this. Let's go take some cheese sandwiches to my brothers who are at the battle, and then I'll go ask how they're doing, and I'll come back and tell my dad, right? That's not, David didn't go to soldier school. He was first, he went to shepherd school and now apparently he's going to sandwich school because all he's being required and all that's being asked of him is just to go do the thing that I'm asking you to do, right? But by being faithful in taking the steps that he's being called to do, he walks into the possibility of a battle that's bigger than him and he's prepared and he's going to step into it, not because he knew that that was coming down the track, but that he was faithful in the little steps that he needed to take before he got there. You see, the path to greatness is paved with just little tiny steps of service. God, I'll just do what you want me to do right here, right now. I don't even know what the end is yet. And I, you don't even want to tell me, but I'm just going to do what you're calling me to do right here, right now. A lot of times we are looking for that epic eye in the sky, beautiful blast of this is God's mission for your life. And really what he's saying is just go serve somebody. Just go help somebody. Why don't you just go, you know, scrape your wife's windshield off? Come on, baby. Boom. You know what I mean? Uh, You know, just do what's right in front of you, right? Just do the thing that's right in front of you. Jason McElwain, this little kid, he's been serving as the team manager three years. Never got on 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 the court. Wanted a shot. Can't take a shot. Sorry, son. Not good enough. But he stays after it. He just stays after it. Senior year, senior game, last game of the season, coach says, maybe we should let this kid take a shot. Watch this video. I want to show you this. Reese Athena High School in Rochester, New York, has a new most unlikely hero, a special ed student by the name of Jason McElwain. Let's keep it going. Jason is the basketball team manager. For the past couple years, he's been assisting coach Jim Johnson, helping with whatever the team needs. Get him motivated and uh, hand out water and just be enthusiastic. Enthusiastic to say the least. Despite being born with autism, Jason's father says his son has never had a problem expressing himself at basketball games. You know, I was always concerned that he might get a technical and they lose a game because he, you know, start yelling or whatever. Let's have a hard practice tomorrow, all hour and a half, and let's get ready for Arcadia. Okay. Let's go. One, two, three, two. Because he has been so devoted to the team, for the last game of the season, Coach Johnson decided to let Jason actually suit up. Not to play necessarily, just to let him feel what it's like to wear a jersey. At least that was the plan. But with four minutes to go in last week's game, Coach Johnson stood up and pointed to number 52, Jason McElwain. After years of fetching water and toweling off other people's sweat, Jason was actually in a game. His first shot was a 20-footer from the right baseline. Was it close? Did you almost make it? I just airballed it. (laughs) I'm like, just, dear God, please, let's just get him a basket. His second shot missed too, but the third was a charm. A three-point no-doubter. And Jason wasn't done yet. Not by a long shot. If I wasn't there to witness it, I wouldn't have believed it, you know. You caught fire. I just caught fire. I was hot as a pistol. Jason ended up shooting six three-pointers. One right after the other. He had 20 points total, 
And each time a shot went in, his teammates and the crowd went a little crazier. His last basket, right at the buzzer, created total mayhem. Because he is autistic, Jason says he's used to feeling different, but never this different, never this wonderful. Steve Hartman, CBS News, Rochester, New York. Just, just turn to your neighbor and just say, you're hot as a pistol. Just tell him, you are hot as a pistol. <laughs> you know, I love, I love that story because this is a kid who's just putting one step in front of the other. He doesn't know how this thing's going to turn out. And then, and then out of nowhere, he gets a shot. He gets an opportunity to step into the game. I, I wonder today, I wonder today, if there's anybody here who you want in the game. You want to step into what God has for you. You want to pursue the destiny that he has and the purpose that he has and the plan that he has for you. You're not quite sure how to do it. And today, the, the answer is just, just take the step that's right in front of you. Just do this act of service that's right in front. Just do the thing that God has placed in front of you. For some of you today, that might be, I'm going to make a commitment to follow Christ. I'm going to, today's that day. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to open my heart. I'm going to receive Jesus. I'm going to start walking after him. If that's you, let us know. Put it on your connection card. Put it in one of the baskets. Maybe that's the, the step. You don't have to shoot it. You don't have to shoot it from out here. You just, you can just put it, you can slam dunk it right in one of these baskets. You know, maybe t today for somebody, it's like, I have this idea. Maybe I should lead a life group. I've been sitting on the sidelines. Come on, get in the game today. Coach, put me in the game, right? Come, maybe it's going to step two. Maybe, I don't know what it is for your life, but I know that each and every one of us are called into something greater. We're called to face some giants that are bigger than us. We're called to face some battles that are bigger than us. So my prayer for you is that your prayer would be, God, I don't know exactly what the end is for my life. I don't know what the end is for this relationship. I don't know what the end is for my finances. I don't know what the end is for my child. I don't know what the end is for it. But God, would you just put me in the game? Would somebody pray that with me this morning for your life, for your family's life, for, the, for, for your friend's life, for the life of this church? God, put us in the game. Help us to face some battles that are bigger than us. Put us in the game to your glory. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. I thank you for each person here. I thank you, God, that each and every one of us, Lord, are, are opening up our hearts to receive your word. I pray, Lord God, that your word would just soak right down into the midst of our heart and transform us, change us, inspire us, encourage us when we hear the voice of discouragement. Encourage us, God, when we look at the size of the problem and draw us closer to you, God, when we're tempted to lay back in the safety of the stands. Let us have the courage to step into the things that you have for us. Lead us, guide us, take us forward into the battle because we know that the battle is yours. You'll never leave us nor forsake us. We will be strong and courageous as we pursue your purpose. Father, get us into the game, we pray in Jesus' name. And somebody say amen.